When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, I've got a question for you. What's the weirdest or like most uncomfortable or strangest story you've ever heard somebody tell as like a speech at a wedding? Had a family friend who got married, whose daughter got married. Let's let's make sure we get the age groups right. Uh, <laughs> daughter got married. She was, I don't know, 25 or 26. And her maid of honor did a speech during the reception. And the maid of honor was hammered. And said, I remember when you told me about the first time you and X, so-and-so, had sex. Oh, whoa. And <laughs> right in the middle of the reception. Like, okay, well, that's <laughs> nice and uncomfortable. And oh, um, before she went into any detail about it, they obviously grabbed the microphone away from her. She was trash, <laughs> trash. <laughs> Real drunk. Were you expecting oh, that one? Oh no! Well, no, but I feel like wedding speech horror stories can go in all sorts of directions. Um, yep. So this this came to mind because there was a certain speech that I've heard in the past that came to mind, Mike. Uh, my so my godparents have three kids, all of which are uh, older than me. Their youngest son is uh, like two, three years older, and um, he was the last of the three kids to get married. And uh, when we went to his wedding his older brother and sister gave kind of a joint speech and um, her older brother or his older brother is a um, really, really smart guy. You know, he's very, uh, very clever, very witty, but also like just like a touch awkward, you know, just a touch kind of lacking of some social awareness, I'll say. Yep. And he was probably several drinks in. I was heard. I heard some rumors of tequila shots between the wedding and the reception, something or other. I don't know. But, um, he came out and basically started talking, you know, about how, well, you know, I think of my, my brother, Sam, you know, and uh, Hitler's invasion of Poland in 1939 comes to mind. Something, something to that effect. And you could hear a pin drop in the room of everyone like, what the hell is this? <laughs> where is this going? Well, where this is going is basically what he said was, you know, when, when Sarah and I were really young, we had this you know room in the house that was a playroom. And then when we found out that my parents were having Sam, the playroom got converted into Sam's room. So no longer, we did no longer have a playroom, you know, so Sam had invaded our territory, which was like a, you know, a valid kind of resolution there, but yes, the, the, the means were a little bit, uh, a little bit confusing. Couldn't, um, couldn't start with something other than Hitler. Yeah, um, right. comparing the the groom and your brother to, you know, the most heinous dictator in world history. Right. Good move in a wedding. But in any case, Mike, the reason that I, I bring this story up is that is in the same way that uh, Sam invaded John and Sarah's uh, kind of space in their playroom, um, 
you might notice if you're watching the video, I've got some new digs going on here. Um, my unborn son has officially invaded my former office uh, as we are going to be converting that into a baby room. And so uh, I have a, a new new room going on here. So if you're not watching and, and you're wondering kind of what the whole hubbub is about, just hopefully the acoustics are all the same or something. I don't know. The baby's taking precedent, huh? Uh, yeah, as as babies tend to. Right. Um, anyways. All to say, yeah, uh, I've got a new setup going here. Hopefully it uh, hopefully it all works out. Yeah, let, let us know if something sounds wrong. Yeah, we'll see what happens. You sound good so far, so. Oh, sweet. That's you know that's a change. Yep. Um, <laughs> Mike, um, now that we're like five minutes in, we got to remind everyone this is an ACC football podcast. Uh, thank everybody for joining us. It is uh, early February. It is the uh, evening of February tenth. And Joey. Yes, sir. The Patriots are Super Bowl champions. Uh, Again, congratulations! Thank you. I'm, I'm so excited for you. Thanks, man. I'm sure, it's you can been, tell it's been 90. It was like a full 98 days since the last parade, so it was tough. It was a true underdog story. Nobody believed in the Patriots. Everyone was shocked. Yeah, I bet a money line. <laughs> that was easy. The dumbest thing I did was I, I made a live bet uh, on the over when it got under 42 points, and I think it was like in the second quarter or something. I was like they're going to start scoring at some point. Spoiler alert, they didn't. Yep. So, yeah, that was money wasted. But um, in any case, yeah, uh, congratulations to your Patriots. The uh, The true underdog story is complete. It, it is. I don't I, – Tom's running out of rings or hands or fingers or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Well – in any case, uh, Mike, we do have ACC football to talk about. Um, we So this is Sunday evening, and it is a few days after National Signing Day, what I'm going to call National Signing Day number two, um, the initial one obviously being back in December for the early signing period. So what we have and what we need to discuss tonight are the final results of the ACC's recruiting efforts here. Um, as, as you might expect... Your boys out in Clemson take home the number one ranking in the ACC once once again, second year in a row. Uh, they actually come in at number 10 in the country. Um, Mike, I think where it gets interesting is from there. So next, you know, next in line in the ACC, uh, Clemson number one, Florida State number two, Virginia Tech number three, Miami number four, NC State number five. Um First of all, Florida State coming in uh, second in the ACC. I thought that was pretty impressive overall for Willie Taggart. You know, first first full year recruiting. Uh, some some pretty strong results there. He always could recruit. I think it's encouraging that you have the kind of year that Florida State has. You know, you miss a bowl game for the first time in like I don't know thirty years, mm-hmm. and you're still able to find a way to get. You know, the number two class in the ACC, you sign 10 four stars, 12 three stars, you get yourself in position moving forward. And Willie Tiger's always been a really good recruiter. So it's encouraging that he was still able to get that done, even though he had a really down year. Mm-hmm. Uh, third, again, year of Virginia Tech Hokies uh, also came in at, where did it go? I lost it. There we go. Uh, came in at 26th in the country. They closed strong, um, seven four stars. You know, they signed three four-star offensive linemen, and the one guy they were able to get on National Signing Day was Doug Nestor, um, Under Armour All-American, four-star, six, six and a half, three oh five at the guard position out of West Virginia. That was a huge signing. They flipped him from Ohio State. Uh, that was the story of National Signing Day for the Hokies, able to get him. And again, 
much similar to Florida State. You know, Virginia Tech goes six and seven. Obviously, they made the late charge for a bowl game. Um, they lose the bowl game to Cincinnati. They have one of their worst years since 1992, and they're still able to sign one of the best classes in the ACC. So that's really encouraging if you're a Hokies fan. Absolutely. Uh, number four in the conference, number 28 nationally, the Miami Hurricanes. This uh, this recruiting class was starting to fall apart there for a little bit, Mike, and then uh, Manny Diaz kind of pulled it back together. And 28th nationally, not really what you're looking for if you're Miami, but overall they were able to salvage it reasonably well given what happened, you know, going through a coaching change and all that. Yeah, coaching change in the, you know, very late in the process. And Manny Diaz was able to keep a lot of the guys that had initially committed to Miami. So, I mean, that's real solid. It was falling apart and he was able to salvage it late, still sign a top 30 class. I think it's really encouraging for Miami who, you know, historically recruits pretty well. Number five and at number 29 in the country, the NC State Wolfpack. Uh, I, I mean, reasonably strong class here, but I, I mean, at the same time, probably not really going to jump off the page. Is anything particularly special here? If you're Dave Dorn and the Wolfpack? Yeah, it's like their product on the field. Um, <laughs> on the bright side, I mean, it is a top 30 class. They were able to somehow salvage that, even though they, you know, really underperformed this year. Mm -hmm. um, hey, I, I don't know what the future holds for Dave Doran, but he continues to recruit okay, at least. So I don't know. You sign that was it number 29 class in the country. You're at the top half of the ACC um, as far as recruiting is concerned. So I don't know. We'll see what happens here. Yeah, it's so we're going to talk about the future, of Dave Doran, and several others here in a little bit. Um, that's a uh, that's a good old fashioned podcast tease, but um, Mike, I guess the, so. I, I look at this, and so that's the top five in the ACC, right? Clemson, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Miami, NC State. The concern to me is that those are your top five. Those are the only five teams the ACC had in the top thirty nationally. And the, the final three there, Virginia Tech, Miami, NC State, are 26, 28, 29. So they only had two of the top 25 recruiting classes in the country. Does that does that concern you, I guess, for the next couple of years, you know, the near future of the conference? Uh, no, I mean, I think this is more of a consequence of, you know, some of these classes have been really, really good the last couple of years. Um, you know, you get some depth at some of these schools and you get some of the nation's top players who see the depth of their position and they're thinking, man, I won't be able to play there. Um, I, I think that's kind of what we got here. Maybe a little bit of a swoon, but overall I wouldn't be too concerned about if you're an ACC fan. I mean, I think the quality is still going to be very good. Um, again, NC state signing a top 30 class, Miami having a coaching change late in the process, you know, still getting themselves in the top 30 Virginia tech, um, you know, another top 30 class, Despite going six and seven, Florida State missing a bowl game um, and having a top 15 class. I mean, this is our top 20 class anyway. Um, I don't know. Really solid. Clemson coming off a national championship, top 10 class. That's what you do. So, I mean, this is the blue bloods of the conference, so to speak. Clemson and Florida State and Miami still all signed top, you know, top 30 classes. Virginia Tech right up there as well. So, I think overall the ACC should be just fine. I guess my concern is seeing you know, all but two ACC teams getting out recruited by Purdue, by Arkansas, by Stanford, you know, to, to some degree, Nebraska or South Carolina. And it's like, I can make a, a reasonable case for any one of those, 
you know, having a, a pretty reasonable recruiting track record, right? Um, especially with some new coaching changes and, you know, bringing in some great recruiters, that kind of thing. But like, I, I guess I would have liked more than just two ACC programs to out recruit those guys. And yeah, it probably doesn't help that Virginia Tech coming off a down year and Miami going through a coaching change and uh, North Carolina going through a coaching change and some of these things. But I, you know, I, I, I guess a couple of years ago, it felt like the ACC was recruiting better on a national scale than, than they have been, you know, in, in the last year or so. And so we sit here and talk about kind of how did we go so quickly from 2016 where the ACC coastal was arguably the best division in college football and, you know, all this stuff all the way, you know, just two years go to, you know, the ACC coastal is maybe the worst in the power five. Um, I, I think that's kind of a, a thing that you got to look at. And I think you got to tie it to is, is how much they are succeeding recruiting, you know, on the national scale as compared to some of these other quote unquote peers, so to speak. Yeah. It escalated quickly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, let's go through the rest of the ACC here, Mike. Uh, number six in the conference, the North Carolina Tar Heels did okay. in the first year under Mac Brown, first Mac- uh, partial recruiting class under Mac Brown, Mac Brown signed four, four star commits. So that's pretty strong. Yeah, pretty strong. So he can still recruit always has been able to. Yep. And, um, we'll see how, you know, a few years off from coaching, how that kind of plays out here this fall. But I mean, to still sign four, four stars in this class and, uh, you know, you're coming off of a really bad year for North Carolina. You're the sixth best class in the ACC. That's, that's just fine for the first year for Mac Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, number seven, the Virginia Cavaliers, 23 commitments, 22 three stars, one four star. They they were led by Joan Briggs out of uh, Cincinnati, but other than that, I mean, I guess just a lot of depth here and, and some reasonable talent to some degree. Uh, running the mill, uh, recruiting class here for Bronco Mendenhall. Running the mill. Um, you know, Mike London recruited a lot better than Bronco Mendenhall has, but Mendenhall's getting the results on the field at least he did this past year. So, oh yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, this is. Uh, this is no different than what Mendenhall did at BYU. Uh, so if he can keep churning out uh, classes that have a lot of depth, I mean, I think Virginia is going to be okay in the long haul. Mm-hmm. Uh, number eight, the Duke Blue Devils, Mike. Very similar class to UVA. So UVA had 22 three-stars, one four-star. Duke has 23 stars and one four-star, right? So um, they, they end up signing two less recruits, uh, than Virginia does, and it's a very, very similar class. Um, it's fine. This is what Cutcliffe does. We'll see what the product is on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how some, you know, a couple of the coaching changes will affect Duke recruiting wise, at least relative to the rest of the ACC. You know, will Je- uh, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech will start to out recruit Duke? Um, I, I'd like to think Scott Satterfield at, at Louisville will start to out recruit Duke. You know, but. Um, I guess, you know, they're getting it while the getting's good, so to speak. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I guess. I suppose. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Uh, number nine, my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Um, you know, had a, a couple pretty good players in here and then a, a really strong close, honestly, by uh, by Jeff Collins and his staff getting Jemias Griffin out of Rome. Um, basically flipped him from NC State. Um, he, he could be kind of a cornerstone running back for the program moving forward. Um, also got a, a really good quarterback out of the Metro Atlanta area, Jordan Yates. He looks like a pretty electric guy. He uh, he led his team to a state championship. Um, and then they also 
probably worth bringing in that they uh, they brought in Marquez Ezard, a transfer from Miami. He was a four star recruit just a year ago. He's out of Stockbridge, you know, in the Atlanta area. So um, promising early start there for the uh, the Georgia Tech new uh, new regime. You know they're going to recruit, and um, you know for them to nab 19 three stars to close like they did um I, I think that bodes well for georgia tech moving forward and jeff collins getting uh getting time to actually have a full recruiting cycle here coming up in the next year or so is going to be pretty exciting yep uh number 10 and this honestly this this disappoints me mike the syracuse orange um just took a huge breakout year and we're not really able to parlay it into a, uh, a particularly inspired recruiting class. You win 10 games and then recruits remember, oh, yeah, I have to go up to Syracuse to play football. Mm-hmm. Um, on-field results absolutely matter, but I, you know, some programs are just a bit capped, and Syracuse, with their location and you know their facilities aren't great, this is kind of what you end up with uh even if you've done a masterful coaching job which you know babers has to be fair and and kind of what you're speaking to here this is like the second best you know in terms of acc rankings this is the second best recruiting class syracuse has had in the last like five years right right and that's 23 stars Mm -hmm. um which i had nothing wrong with that and dino babers can coach those guys up and that won't be an issue we know that but Mm -hmm. uh yeah, it's just a very, very tough place to recruit to. And to Dino Baber's credit, he's done a pretty good job of that so far. Yep, absolutely. Number 11, our uh, Wake Forest Steam and Deeks, Mike. Bringing in a pair of blue chip wide receivers, replacing Greg Dorch and some of those boys. Not bad. Uh, not bad. You got two four stars. Yep. That's, um, hey. They got the Wake- top end talent, at least. Wake Forest football, you get two four star commits. Uh, people love Dave Clawson. I don't know. Keep an eye on them. That's an underrated class, I think. Yep. Could be. Uh, number 12, your ACC Coastal Champion, Pitt Panthers. Ah, the fighting Kenny Pickett's. <laughs> uh, fight yeah. on. Fight on. Uh, 18 three stars. Fine. Continue. Eh, yeah. Um, again, kind of kind of uninspired. You would have liked him to parlay a uh, division championship, a, you know, conference championship game appearance into a Maybe a little more. This is also a pretty down class for them. Um, last couple of years, eighth in the conference, seventh in the conference, fourth in the conference back in 2016. So um, how it is that Pittsburgh finally wins a division championship and then turns around and has their worst recruiting class in several years, you know, is, uh, I don't know. That's interesting. That's a data point. I mean, who wouldn't want to play with Kenny Pickett? Correct. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, number 13, the Boston College Eagles. Who, who wouldn't want to play with uh, A.J. Dillon and Anthony Brown? My goodness. Um, hmm. What do we say about Boston College at number 13 out of 14 in the conference? I mean, okay, like we said, we're going to get into coaching futures here in a minute and kind it of feels, see where it all pans out. Feels like a 7-5 to five team to me. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty safe bet. Uh, pretty safe bet at this point, Mike. Yep. Uh, number 14, bringing up the rear, uh, the Louisville Cardinals. You have a staff about the staff, a stat about this one. I do. Um, so to be fair, so the number 14 in the conference, you know, that's last place in the conference. Um, give, give Scott Satterfield and his staff a little bit of credit here. 
Uh, we're only about a month removed from them only having like five commitments in this class. Um, I think between just maybe uh, having one foot out the door and and kind of not putting in full effort and just the mess that was going on in the program, um, a bunch of dudes were jumping ship, you know, before Bobby Petrino was fired. Um, Scott Satterfield is basically starting from scratch here, and he put together, you know, it's it's a class, and there is a little bit of top end talent there. You got Jadarian Boykin out of uh, out of Georgia, got a couple guys, but. Um, you know, Mike, this is not only this is the worst class in the ACC, this is the worst class in the Power Five. Um, they come in at 73rd overall, which is a full like 14 spots below Boston College. Uh, it's a few spots below the likes of Kansas and Oregon State. So, what go I'm Beavers. Here, yeah, go Beavs. Uh, what I'm saying here is that I think Louisville is probably going full tilt into a, uh, into a rebuild here. This is what happens when used to have Brian Van Gorder as your defensive coordinator. You can't mm-hmm. sign anybody on defense, and you have trouble on offense, and man. Kind of feels like nobody was really at the wheel in terms of uh, recruiting here for the final couple of months of the Petrino era. Yeah, you got Van Gorder, like, gelling his mustache. and <laughs> you know. Whoops. Whoops. Oh, recruiter sorry recruiting <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to edit that out um recruiting probably not yeah probably not um yeah completely forgot about that so uh <laughs> it's one of those things you know what no seriously though like louisville's got all these nice facilities right and they just got out recruited by boston college Pitt, wake forest syracuse georgia tech who hired jeff collins like a week ago mm-hmm. uh, you know it's I mean, I get that Satterfield was a late hire too, later than Collins even. But at the same time, like you have all those facilities and you have the worst recruiting class in the power five. Really? Really? I, I'm fully expecting them to be playing the transfer market here in the spring. And have to. Yeah. I mean, I, Louisville is like in, in a, a real danger of starting the season with like 68 scholarship players or something like that. I mean, like with all the transfers they've had and now only signing a class of 14 players, that's, that's the other piece of this. Not only are they 14th in the ACC, there's a total of 14 players that they signed. Um, at some point you need bodies to run a football team. And you know, what's crazy about this? Like UNC was every bit as bad as Louisville was and UNC had a coaching change too. So I know a lot of Louisville fans are going to say, Oh, we had a coaching change. It's okay. Like we had a bad year. I mean, UNC had a coaching change. They had a bad year. UNC signs the sixth best class in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Math. It's weird. To be fair, it does seem like Larry Fedora still like gave a damn. Uh, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, he gave a damn. Petrino, Van Gorder did not. Um, I mean, this is what you get. Plus, I mean, Mac Brown can still relate to the young guys. I mean, we're seeing it in North Carolina, right? Like, guys still want to go play for him. All the success at Texas. He put a bunch of guys in the pros. Like that stuff matters. Once again, we'll have to see yeah, how it translates to the field. But um, I mean, for now, yeah, it's translating better than I think a lot of people thought it would. Yep. Um, Mike, any any of these classes really stick out to you as particularly impressive or particularly disappointing? Uh, North Carolina. Um, I think I agree with that. I think that's that's the one. Um, I know we're just talking about them, but to sign four four stars for Mac Brown to come in. Um, again, you know, mid cycle coaching change for him to come in and still be able to keep four, four stars in the fold. Um, you sign 18, three stars, you know, you're in the top half of the ACC 
in regards to the rankings. Um, yeah, that's that's a good class for me. Uh, other than that, I mean, the other two, I guess they're relatively impressive that should be just given the caliber of program or, or Virginia Tech and Florida State for them to both have down years and still have, you know, top three class in the conference. I think that's solid, too. I tend to agree. I, I think and I mentioned this, I think that the classes that really kind of disappoint me are a couple of teams that had kind of different brands of success this year. But it's Syracuse and Pittsburgh yep. falling at 10th and 12th in the conference, respectively. Um, I think Pittsburgh was struggling to even be in the top 50 nationally. Um, they finished at, hang on, let me look for it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, 54th nationally Syracuse 52nd nationally. Um, I mean, I, I really would like to think that a, a nine and three Syracuse team and a division champion Pittsburgh team would pull something together a little better than that. But in any case, I mean, like, as, as you said, some of the, some for, for some of these teams kind of just is what it is. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Mike, that's all I got on these specific recruiting classes. I, before we move on to something kind of totally different, though, um, there was an article that I did see uh, a couple weeks ago that I wanted to bring up from uh, Alex Kirshner over at uh, SBNation.com. Good writer. Yeah, he does a really good job, actually. Um, he, he writes about a lot of kind of what I'm going to call like oddball topics or kind of unusual perspectives on things, but they're actually really, um, really interesting articles. So shout out Alex Kirshner. Um, go find his stuff if you haven't found it yet, because it's he, he writes a lot of really interesting articles, usually surrounding college football. So check that out. Um, Mike, he wrote an article a couple weeks ago talking about um, in 2018, the teams teams in the country that um, either kind of underperformed or overperformed based on their S&P Plus ranking and their recruiting rankings over the past four years. Um, if I told you that three ACC teams were in the bottom five nationally in terms of, you know, or, or that they three of the top five underperformers last year were in the ACC, who would you guess it was? Keep in mind, this is about recruiting as well as S&P Plus rankings. Yep. All right. Let's do this. Let's do this dance, shall we? Mm-hmm. Um, Louisville. Yep. Number two. Wow. What do you know? It's almost like they suck 32nd um, in recruiting 111th in S&P plus to finish the year hey Joey I I think I know what one of the top ones would be Florida State yep they're number one and Miami fourth in recruiting 84th in S&P plus My- uh, Miami Miami not no actually Ooh, really um where does Miami fall let's find Miami um uh, actually kind of kind of middle of the pack um yeah. They they finished twenty uh, fifth in S and P plus only eight spots below their recruiting ranking of seventeen. Not bad. Um, Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech not good. Uh, kind of I want to say you know maybe about twelve in that twelve to fifteen range. Uh, Thirty eight mm-hmm. spots below. Uh, Sixty six in S and P plus. Twenty eight in recruiting. Uh, number five nationally actually is the North Carolina Tar Heels. Mm. 27th in recruiting, 95th in S&P Plus. So number, what you're seeing Number here, one in our hearts. Yeah, number one in our hearts. That's right. Um, Louisville and North Carolina, again, second and fifth worst in the conf- in the country relative to recruiting rankings and, and actual performance. Um, they both now have new coaches, which probably explains a lot. Um, if you kind of want to look at this, yeah, some other teams that pop up in this, in this area. So UCLA, 15th in recruiting, 92nd in S&P Plus. Tennessee, 13th in recruiting, 88th in S&P Plus. Um, those are between Louisville and North Carolina. And then, yeah, you mentioned Virginia Tech, uh, you know, a few items down the list, probably just outside of the top 10. Georgia Tech, not a, just a few spots below that. 48th in recruiting, 82nd in S&P Plus. Not great. 
Um, and then, yeah, Pittsburgh, not far below that. 42nd in recruiting, 69th nice in S&P Plus. Nice. Nice. So, um, yeah, some of those teams that just kind of underperformed now, you turn this around and say who's overperformed, and you got to get a little bit down the list before you get um, – before you get away from all the like, you know, G five schools, because their recruiting rankings are always pretty low. And when they get pretty good S and P plus rankings, like obviously they're going to look like they outperformed everybody. Um, but let's say there were two primary programs in the ACC that outperformed recruiting rankings. And I'm thinking you probably guess who they were. I can Syracuse and UVA Syracuse and UVA. That's right. Um, towards the top of the power five in terms of, uh, outperforming their recruiting rankings. Um, Syracuse, 59th in re- recruiting, 36th in S&P Plus. Uh, Virginia, 58th and 37th. So pretty comparable there, but both outperformed those spots by a little over 20, 20 spots. And uh, as you'll notice here in a little bit, we're going to talk about you know potential jobs coming open. We're not talking about those coaches like they might get fired. Mm. Probably a correlation there. Hmm. So yeah. keep that in mind. Also, I do believe actually Syracuse led the Power Five, and then there was Iowa, and then I believe Virginia was third in the Power Five in overperforming their recruiting rankings. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean both teams had solid years, so good on you guys, Dino and uh, Bronco. Hey, man, there's some weird. I didn't even realize there's like some weird first name coaches in the uh, in the ACC. I was going to say let's let's start rolling through them. Dino Dino, and Bronco. Dino and Bronco. G off. <laughs> got hired. Yeah. Good old G off. Yeah. Some someone named their kid Manny too, for what that's worth. But in yeah. any case. Uh Mike, any anything else before we move on here? I think we're good. Uh Clemson actually overperformed their recruiting rankings for what it's worth. And man, I I feel horrible for them. <laughs> that's a scrappy bunch up there. Yeah, that's a that's a scrappy bunch. I don't know. I was Doing more with less. Those yeah. Tigers. Yeah. The, the true underdog story of Trevor Lawrence overcoming, you know, being the backup and becoming the starter. Sunshine. Sunshine. <laughs> All right. Whatever. Let's move on. Um, Mike, so one of the things that I did not bring up that probably needs to be mentioned as it relates to uh, recruiting, the, the recruiting situation. So Florida State finishes second in the conference. Um, there was that's a great finish for them, and they did a, a really great job in a lot of ways. There's only one major gap that they have. Um, Florida State did not sign a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a quarterback that was committed uh, up until about signing day, but uh, then they, he ended up flipping away. Um, I'm trying to find the name. I am so well prepared. Um, let's see. Yeah, so Florida State had a, a quarterback committed. Uh, his name was Sam Howell. He was uh, committed to Florida State and ends up flipping over to North Carolina there at the uh, the very end. And Joey. Yep. It turns out now they just have a quarterback that's committing crimes. Oh, yeah, they do. Okay, so now they're down one quarterback from what they thought they were going to have. And then uh, it comes out that DeAndre Francois has apparently been uh, committing some acts of domestic violence with his uh, longtime girlfriend and potential uh, baby mama, I think. Um, And as such, within about 24 hours, DeAndre Francois dismissed from Florida State. Um, Mm, Yep. I don't get the impression that there was a lot of heartache about losing him. Um, not nearly as much for on-field reasons as much as he just didn't have a very positive reputation, I think, among the uh, Florida State fan base. We'll say that. So now Florida State down two quarterbacks from what they thought they were going to have next year. Yeah. 
and James Blackman. James Blackman, he, he had his name entered in the transfer portal, and then I don't know what happened, if he maybe uh, kind of caught wind of what was going to happen here or what, but he's actually retracted that, and he will be coming back to Florida State uh, hmm. next year. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, but the question remains, Mike, this leaves Florida State with two scholarship quarterbacks, meaning either – you know, they're just banking on some really good bills of health or they're going to play the transfer market or the Gulf Coast offense is going to take on a totally different meaning than we ever thought it would. Y'all want to put Cam Akers in the Wildcat all game. Please, I will tune in and watch that programming. Be my guest. <laughs> uh, the underappreciated Cam Akers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they got an interesting quarterback situation for sure. So I guess James Blackman's probably going to be a starter. Uh, yeah, I'd have to think so. Yeah. It was it's a pretty quick retraction for him. It was like two or three days. Yeah. I mean, Virginia Tech's got a similar issue with uh, Josh Jackson leaving the program and Hendon Hooker leaving the program. And now they're down to Ryan Willis and Quincy Patterson. So mm-hmm. the same kind of situation there at Virginia Tech. Um, mm. So, I mean, you got two programs that, you know, didn't necessarily recruit well a quarterback uh, this past year, and now you have no depth. So, hope everybody stays healthy, Joey. It's bizarre to me that, but these these two programs in particular, kind of for separate reasons, but have had such issues with the quarterback position. Yep. So, I mean, Francois looked great as a freshman with Jimbo Fisher there, and then had no offensive line help at all last year, and then this year, well, to be fair, he was out all last year, and then this year had no offensive line help. Yep. Um, but the fact that, you know, then Virginia tech with, you know, with Justin Fuente and his track record, you know, we're three years in and, and haven't solidified that just yet. It's interesting to me, I guess I, it's, it's not really what I was expecting or what I would expect from those programs. Yeah. Especially with two pretty solid recruiters in Fuente and Taggart, the mm-hmm. fact that they've had trouble locking down the quarterback position is interesting. And to be fair, it's not like they don't have talent at the position. I mean, uh, you know, James Blackman, obviously highly rated recruit. Francois, highly rated recruit. Um, you know, Virginia Tech plays the transfer market against Gerard Evans a few years ago. That worked out really well. They went to an ACC championship with him at quarterback in Justin Fuente's first year. Josh Jackson, four-star recruit. Hendon Hooker, four-star recruit. Quincy Patterson, four-star recruit. And now you're down to essentially Ryan Willis, who transferred from Kansas and played the majority of last season, and Quincy Patterson, who kept his red shirt last year and they got nobody behind him. And now at Florida mm-hmm. state, you basically got Blackman, and then we'll see what happens. And man, Oh man, it's, it's like these schools recruited well at quarterback and then weren't able to keep any of them. A la Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh man. Those were some days. Those were some days. Cause those were like blue chip quarterbacks. They were losing uh, Kyler Murray, not the least of which. Yes. Um, decent player. turns out. Yeah, he he's he can ball. Yeah, you can now put Heisman Trophy winner in front of his first name. <laughs> Heisman Trophy winning. Uh, yes. Yeah, no kidding. So um, keep an eye on that. Florida State's uh, QB situation, even Virginia Tech's quarterback situation. It could get could get interesting. We'll dicey, dicey, yeah. dicey. Could get weird. I look forward to that. Um, Mike, we have an article, the 1 through 130 coaching rankings that was put out that I saw that I thought was very interesting and I wanted to talk a little bit about. It's from collegefootballnews.com. This is from uh, like the early January timeframe. So this is a little bit old. 
I don't know if I want to go all the way through it right now. Um, it, it is kind of kind of lengthy, and there's a lot of breakdowns that we can do here. There's a you know, I would say for you know for what it's worth, they they ranked every coach in the country against each other, one through one thirty. The bottom three includes number 130, Bobby Petrino at Louisville, and number 128, Larry Fedora at North Carolina. Both of them are gone. Um, you know, we can go from there, but really it kind of it, it begged the question that we had been talking a little bit about, and I do want to hit on here, is we, we've had some coaching turnover here this year. Um, Louisville, Georgia Tech, Miami a little bit. Um, you know, some turnover in the the – underlying staff at NC State, not just, you know, not not from the head guy necessarily, uh, North Carolina coaching turnover. Um, so after all that turnover, Mike, I, I guess we, we kind of look forward and say, what are the next three to five jobs that are going to come available in the ACC? And now one thing to keep in mind here, I'm saying one of the, you know, who's going to come available, not necessarily who's going to get fired. So you have to consider here, is there a possibility somebody is going to get hired away to a, a different or bigger job? Is something else to consider here. What comes to mind for you as we sit here and think about, you know, what, what are the next jobs coming open in the ACC? Number one, in my mind, Syracuse. I think it needs to be. I think number one is Syracuse because Gino Babers has turned that into a 10-win program this past year. Um they have their best year in a really, really long time. Um, obviously, a lot of really outstanding offensive playmakers have, have been there since he's been the coach. Eric Dungey, of course, highlighting the group. Um, you know, you'll remember when they had Amba Edetawo at mm -hmm. receiver. He was real, real good. Um, I, I mean, Syracuse had a bunch of playmakers. A lot of guys want to go play there uh, on the offensive side. I just feel like once a big time job opens up and not that Syracuse, you know, not that Syracuse isn't a big time job. I mean, they have, they're in the Atlantic division. They play in the ACC. They're playing Clemson and Florida state and Louisville, but we just talked about this with the recruiting rankings. That's a very, very tough place to recruit. It's a basketball school. It always will be a basketball school, Joey, uh, for as much success as Dino Babers has had there. I think he's definitely a guy who would move on um, sooner rather than later. I think that's mm -hmm. got to be got to be number one. I think so. Um, a guy like that, I'm trying to think of a job that you know would make sense for him to take or something like that. And for some reason, one of the one of the big time jobs that might come open, and this is going to sound really stupid here in maybe like a year or so, but a job like USC where Clay Helton is probably going to get fired sooner than later. But in the meantime, Graham Harrell's going to try to put in a, a you know, pass heavy, you know, big 12 air raid looking kind of offense that Dino Babers could very well pick up the pieces and run with immediately, especially a guy like JT Daniels at, at you know, at quarterback who's available. I mean, that would be a great situation for him. I, I question as to whether or not they would do it. I don't know that he's yet a proven enough recruiter for that time, that type of big time job. I think he would play great in like the LA market in terms of, you know, the, the media and, and how he markets himself and his program. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great things to say about Dino Babers. That's maybe a too big of a jump from Syracuse to USC, but I, I, I do think that if you put together one or two more seasons at Syracuse, he's, he's probably uh, taken on some bigger and better challenges. I would agree. Who's number two for you? Number two. Um, I don't know where I go with number two. I, so we talked about this not not super long ago, but kind of the same reasons of a guy that I don't think is going to get fired, and I don't think there's any reason that he would get fired. I, 
I think that he would take a, a bigger job. But I also don't know where he fits in as Dave Clawson. Yep. So Dave Clawson has had a, a track record of nothing but building success and rebuilding some programs wherever he's been, and he's he's always been really good, right? Um, you know, Fordham, Richmond, Bowling Green, now Wake Forest, and he's he's been a winner everywhere he's been. Um, by year three, year four, they're they're putting it all together. I think to some degree he has and or will hit a ceiling at Wake Forest. Um, again, for some, kind of some of the same reasons that you know Dino Babers would hit a ceiling at Syracuse is like there's only so much to recruit to and there's only so much you're ever going to be able to do in Winston-Salem. But I think that he could get hired somewhere and I, I don't know necessarily know where. And I, it's, it's kind of weird to think about like a big time program hiring a guy who has typically succeeded with some of these somewhat, you know, undermanned or under uh, underfunded programs. You know, what would he do if he had a proper funding, you know, and a big time program? I don't know. He's an interesting guy because that Tennessee job came open about a year and a half ago. Um, mm-hmm. And he was a guy that I think would have been an excellent hire there. Mm-hmm. And the Tennessee fan base, much like they did with Greg Schiano, would have lit everything on fire. Um, but Dave Clawson is a very, very good football coach. Um, I don't know what the right fit is for him. Uh, I, I feel like he could take a what what would seem like a lateral move on paper and you know make a jump to the Big Ten or the SEC with maybe a lower tier program um, like a Vanderbilt like a Vanderbilt or because Derek Mason I feel like at some point is going to he's another guy who's who's a good coach who I feel like can make a jump to a to a better job he's kind of in a similar situation there at Vanderbilt um, I, you what know, if he could jump to like a Purdue after Jeff Brown gets hired somewhere. Yeah, see, that's that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a middle of the road to lower tier, and I, and I use that loosely because we're taught we're still talking Power Five here, uh, Big Ten or SEC job. Um, I know this won't happen because this was just filled recently, but like Arkansas, like somewhere like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think Purdue's a great example. Uh, I, you know, I would not be surprised to see uh, Dave Clawson make that move at some point. Uh, the the one school on here, Joey, that I think could come open relatively soon as NC state. Mm -hmm. Um, So I agree. We've talked about Dave Doran extensively on this podcast. I think we're both, we're both in on Dave Doran, the guy, right? Like we like Dave Doran. Like he seems like a good guy. Seems like he always recruits. Well, players like playing for him. Um, See, you know, he has very good staff continuity. Players have nothing but good things to say about him. X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the problem with NC State, and it's not it's it's a good problem to have, is they have a very passionate fan base and they have a very lockstep in tune athletic department, mm-hmm. and they always have, and that's an excellent program um, in, in the ACC. Uh, an excellent athletic department, very good basketball school, good baseball school, good football school. Um, I feel like at some point in time they're going to pull the plug on Dave Doran because all of a sudden eight and four, seven and five is just not going to be good enough. And that's not to say that Dave Doran can't coach. I think he can, but I think we saw his ceiling a couple of years ago and he had, you know, Bradley Chubb at, at defensive end and they had Ryan Finley and, they had Jalen Samuels and they, they had all the running backs and Heem Hines in the backfield. 
uh, highlighted the group and they had a really strong offense and a very strong defense. And in the biggest games of the year, they could not get the job done. They lost to Notre Dame. You'll remember they lost to Florida state. They lost to, um, they lost to Clemson. Obviously that was a huge game. So like NC state, in the biggest games of the year, they couldn't get the job done. So I just, I wonder what the ceiling is for that program with Dave Doran as the coach. And I think NC state will make a decision on that. Um, Maybe, maybe not in 2019, but maybe in 2020. I, I tend to agree that honestly, that feels like one where for like one way or the other, they're going to be moving on to a new coach within the next few years. Um, it might be because they fire him. It might be because he just bails. Um, it, and him deciding to leave on his own merit and go somewhere else. It's not a novel concept. Like he's, he's tried this before he right? So um, it's, it seems like it's coming sooner than later. I think we've, we've seen more of Dave Doran up till this point than we will see moving forward at NC state. I would, I would agree with that. And the one, the one coach I will compare him to as far as kind of running its course, but I think can still coach at a high level is Larry Fedora. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very similar type situation, except NC state hasn't had that year where they've absolutely bottomed out yet. Mm -hmm. um, North Carolina obviously had it this past year and they made the move and Larry Fedora not too far removed from taking North Carolina to the ACC championship game. Um, but he had that one year where he bottomed out and he had, you know, the year leading up to it where they were just so, you know, obviously they missed a bowl game. They had a billion injuries mm -hmm. um, in, in the 17, 18 season. Uh, but it, it's one of those deals where you got the bottoming out year and then, you had the actual bottoming out year where everybody was healthy and you guys, you know, everybody knew that Larry Fedora could coach, but North Carolina made the move. They bit, you know, they bit on the buyout and did what they had to do. I feel like NC state could be heading in that direction as well at some point, one yep. way or another. Yep. Um, something to keep in mind going into 2019 NC state 109th nationally in returning production. Mm, that seems relevant. C couple of a uh, couple nine win seasons seems good, but when you realize that you're kind of looking at a reset here, I mean, was that enough? I don't know. That's that's that continues to be my question. Yep. Um, it's funny. I sit here and think about jobs that have you know that were open this cycle that would have made sense for for a guy like really either one, Dave Doran or Dave Clawson. West Virginia comes to mind. Yeah. I think West Virginia could have been a really good opportunity for either of them. They ended up going with um, Neil Brown out of Troy. Which Not bad. I think that's a really good hire, too. I do, too. Yep. Um, I, I think that would have been a fit for either one of them. Um, if I look at, you know, who do I think is going to get fired? Mike, I think it's about time with Boston College. Do you think it's about time for Steve Adazio to... I think uh, move on to greener pastures, so to speak. I, yeah, I think it's time for Steve Adazio to be put out to pasture here. Ooh, put out to pasture even worse. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think we should actually like have a you know human sacrifice of Steve Adazio. Like that. <laughs> that's, but, that's good. That's good. Go ACC to that. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Steve Adazio in what five or six years now as Boston College's head coach. Let's see his final records in six years, Mike. Let's go. Seven and six, seven and six, three and nine, seven and six, seven and six, seven and five. They seem like a seven-win program. Roughly, yeah. Um, I, I haven't done the math on that, but it seems like more often than not, if you bet the over on seven wins, you're just going to get your money back every year. Yeah, I feel like three and nine was the outlier. Yeah, and even then, that was one of the best defenses of the past ten years. So I don't God, know how that all happened. God, God. 
I don't know how that all happened, but in any case, um, if if you're an NC State fan or a Boston College fan, you're listening to this and you're screaming at your radio right now about how how the hell you think we're going to fire Dave Doran or how you think we're going to fire Steve Adazio, I want to hear about it. I am legitimately curious to hear the actual opinion within the fan base. I feel like we haven't gotten that in a little while. We probably need to get – I don't know if Dan Rubin can speak to it um, with a lot of uh, – Is he allowed? Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah, is is he allowed with, with a lot of uh, candid – you know, feedback here maybe is, is part of the word I'm looking for, but um, certainly need to get on uh, Will Thompson and some folks to kind of talk about where these programs sit fan base wise and um, kind of how, how, how much we think the coaches are wearing their wear thin, you know, because I feel like to some degree we're, we're kind of speculating, you know, I mean, it maybe it's not nearly as bad as we think it is. Maybe they're, uh, you know, thrilled with where things are at. I don't know. Who's I mean, that? Dave Doran wins nine, nine games and, I mean, that's good. Mm-hmm. They just leave something to be desired every year, which mm-hmm. if that's the kind of program you want to be, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm not advocating for Dave Dorn to be fired. I think he's a good coach. I just mm-hmm. think at some point they could make that move. Now, yeah. Boston, Boston College is in an entirely different situation, in my opinion, because BC really hasn't ever had, I don't want to say ever, but like recently had a great program, right? I mean, we're dating back to Matt Ryan and that run other than that like doug flutie right i mean there's there's never really been a a time for boston college football where it's been like this unbelievable powerhouse of a program i mean they've had some good stints in there but overall it's been a pretty average football program for a really really long time Mm -hmm. and i i just wonder with the limited resources that they have it's, it's another tough school to recruit to um, because of the area. Uh, Massachusetts is not a great high school football state, so you're trying to extend outside of that area. The only problem is the entire Northeast is relatively tough to recruit to. I mean, you can get some athletes out of New Jersey, but outside of that, I mean, for, you know, you're not getting blue chip guys out of Maine and Vermont. It just doesn't happen mm-hmm. very often. Mm-hmm. Um and BC recruits the Northeast, and that's what they do. So it's it's diff, it's a difficult job. I, I acknowledge that. And Steve Adazio consistently gets Boston College to bowl games. They're competitive. Sometimes they win the bowl games. Sometimes they don't. And maybe that's good enough for the fan base. I I wonder if the next guy that comes in after Steve Adazio is a worthy enough replacement to get them to maybe eight or nine wins consistently. Because I think that's all you're realistically looking at if you're Boston College. Um, so it's it's a matter of A, is Steve Adazio good enough to continue? B, if he's not, who's replacing him? Which I mm-hmm. hate that question because there's always a guy you, you're going to replace him with. There's, there's always somebody better out there than the coach you have, except for a handful of situations in college football. I just wonder who that guy is for Boston College. So it's it's actually interesting, Mike, and we think this, but Steve Adazio, only the second coach since Jeff Jagosinski was there, right? So and, and so Jeff Jagosinski took over for Tom O'Brien. Tom O'Brien took over in 1997. First couple of years, not great, four and seven, four and seven. Starting in 1999, for the next 10, you know, 12 years, whatever it was for Boston College, Eight and four, seven and five, eight and four, nine and four, eight and five, nine and three, nine and three, ten and three, eleven and three, nine and five, eight and five. Like that. Matt t- Ryan. 
Yeah, well, that takes you through the entire decade of the 2000s, right? And and for, you know, O'Brien into Jagosinski, there was a solid stretch there of, you know, how many years that they went eight and four or better, like nine years in a row. You know, and so like it, it, it could be done at least back then. I don't know how, you know, the, the, the world being different these days is um, going to have an effect on that. But, you know, they were pretty good for a while. And that was probably the most successful stretch of Boston College football over more than like a two or three year span in, in history. Right. But it was also recent, you know, so it's like, I, I don't know what to make of that. Is that, is that a sustainable real thing? Or is that just something that Tom O'Brien figured out and Jeff Jagosinski was involved in? And then once he was gone and Frank Spaziani took over the whole thing, just kind of crumbled a little bit. Woof. I don't know. Um, that eight, that eight to nine win range is, is the sweet spot. And, you know, you mentioned it in that 10 year stretch we were talking about. There are a couple of 10 win seasons in there, but it was mostly eight to nine wins. And BC right now is a seven-win program with Steve Adazio. So can you get to that eight or nine-win range? Can you get to a little bit better bowl game, a little more revenue for the school? Like, I'm sitting here laughing. If you go look at the uh, 2007 Boston College Eagles football team Wikipedia page, there's a section titled Roster with a bulleted list. Would you like to hear the exhausted you know, entirety of the list of the roster of the 2007 Boston College Eagles football team? Go. Quarterback Matt Ryan. That's it. Okay, <laughs> that's all you need to know. And we're done. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you do at Boston College. Um, it's that's becoming a tougher job. Okay, Mike. Before we move on, I got one more coach. I think that keep in mind that could um, could vacate a job sooner than later. Um, what are the odds that David Cutcliffe's ready to retire soon? Mm, hi. David Cutcliffe, 64 years old. Um, he has been coaching since 1976 when he was an assistant at Banks High School in Alabama. Um, he, he's been coaching at the Power Five level since 1982. Most of that at Tennessee. Um, had a, st- a stretch as a head coach at Ole Miss before uh, starting at Duke in 2008. I wonder at some point if he retires. I mean, getting older, I don't know how, how, uh, how close that is. I give him probably three or four more years. I mean, he's he's not the oldest coach in the ACC at this point. That's Mac Brown at like seventy years old or whatever the hell he is. Yeah, um, I, I give Cutcliffe three or four more years. I, I mean, he's going to go out on his own terms regardless. Completely mm-hmm. turn the Duke program around. Yada yada yada. Plus, mm-hmm. I love him. Yep. So I don't want to see him go. Don't want to see him go. Yeah, he's in. Uh, he's an institution at this point. He is. So, in any case, okay. So Syracuse, Wake, your coaches are probably getting hired. Uh, Boston College, your coach probably getting fired. North NC Carolina? State, yeah, I was going to say North Carolina State. Coin flip. Could be either one, but probably going to change soon. And uh, I don't know. Kind of laying, uh, laying down the gauntlet there. That's, that's what I think is going to happen. Real quick. Mm-hmm. Pat Narduzzi. Oh, man. I think that's a, that's a discussion to have, too. Which is, and again, it's it's a weird discussion to have coming off of an ACC Coastal Championship season. I'm going to throw up. But once again, I mean, we sit here and talk about like you won the division championship, but I mean, was it really that good? Right. Yeah. Like, how impressive is it? They went seven and seven. You lost seven games, but you won a conference, you know, a division championship. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. I don't know. Um, it really does feel like they they pretty continually underperform at Pittsburgh, but they also have pulled off some crazy big game wins at the same time. So I don't know what it all means. Yep. That's where I'm at. 
Um, I, I would not blame Pittsburgh fans if they were getting a, a little bit worn by Pat Narduzzi and his antics by now, though, and uh, ready to move on to something else. Yeah, that's the problem. I think right when you're getting ready to get rid of him and the fan base is out, all of a sudden he upsets Clemson or, oh, man, we almost beat ND. Like, yeah, it's, it's that sort of deal. Could be, could be. Uh, Mike, let's move on. We've got a couple more things to hit on. we got to get out of here. It's, uh, it's going long, but uh, we have uh, Heisman odds for the 2019 Ooh. Heisman moving forward. I like Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, oh, that's a good pick. He's the second favorite on the board. He is at a plus 450 Yep. Uh, as of January 7th, so about a month ago. Um, so you might want to get on that now because I don't know those odds are getting any better before the season starts. Um, that's probably about as good as you're going to get. He's right behind Tua at plus 175. Um, so he's getting just marginally better than even money at that point. Um, also from the ACC on this list, Travis Etienne at plus seven seventy five. You betting that? Mm, no, no, I don't think he's going to win it. If if Clemson is like doing what they think that we think they're going to do, and they you know go win another national title or whatever they're going to do, and like they're really great, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, it's Trevor Lawrence. There's no situation where the hype and the story is about Trevor, Travis Etienne enough to where he's going to win the Heisman. Correct. Um, it's not going to happen. Uh, also on this list, Mike, speaking of Boston College, the D-Train, your boy A.J. Dillon, plus 1,600. Large odds. Those are large odds. Uh, we actually went and looked beforehand. Um, previous Boston College running back to get near a Heisman Trophy, Andre Williams, a couple years ago, he uh, he finished fourth. I think he got invited to the ceremony, so that's, that's good. But, again, Boston College better be winning about 10 games next year if, if A.J. Dillon's going to win the Heisman. 2,000 yards rushing. 10 win season upsets ups, upset over the other ACC Heisman candidates like Clemson. ETN, hey, it, could happen. it could happen. It won't, but it could Let's see who Boston college plays this year real quick. Just to see if it's, if it's there. Uh, we're, trying, we're, we're trying to rationalize plus 1600. Yeah. Right. With a Heisman trophy futures bet. Yeah. Um, they've got six home games, Virginia Tech, Richmond, Kansas, and they go at Rutgers, home against Wake Forest, at Louisville, home against NC State. I mean, all that's pretty doable, right? Yeah. They, could, they could be, I mean, you could be 6-0 and hosting NC State on uh, October 19th, coming off a bye. It's possible. Yeah, I just... Oof. Final five games at Clemson, at Syracuse, home against Florida State, at Notre Dame, at Pittsburgh. Mm, that's a three and two stretch. But Just if you kidding. win, if you win ten games on that schedule, I mean, yeah, that's probably uh probably on the back of AJ Dillon. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have to be for him to get to more than seven wins. Wonder about his. Uh, it's not going to be on the back of Steve Adazio, that's for sure. That's yeah, <laughs> certainly not. I wonder about AJ Dillon's longevity at this point too. He missed some time this year with an injury. I. I don't know how much you can keep, you know, throwing him the ball 35 times a game. Yeah, that's uh <laughs> human body is not meant to take that kind of punishment. No. And he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're looking for a Heisman betting favorite from the ACC, uh, I think Trevor Lawrence is uh, is your guy. Mike, speaking of Clemson, last thing we've got here. Um did Debo Swinney accidentally admit that Clemson's been feeding his players uh performance enhancing drugs? Oh, man. South Carolina fans think so. Yeah, they certainly do. Um, South Carolina fans knew that they were doing this like way long ago anyways, so nothing new there. Um, 
there was an article that came out here in the last few days, Mike. And so, as, of course, a lot of people will remember that Dexter Lawrence was suspended for both the Cotton Bowl against Notre Dame and the national title game against Alabama um, for a PED suspension related to Osterine, Osterine, Osterin. I don't know. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybelline. <laughs> it sounded like Osterine, so, I mean. You think Dexter Lawrence was eating good in the neighborhood? Ooh. <laughs> he may have been. <laughs> Something about uh, isn't there oh. something about like Mexican meat that turns into like a PED? Anyways, okay, um, well then. So there's a quote from Dabo Swinney as they were asking him more about this whole situation. That really, honestly, it feels like this was a uh, we're really trying to extract some meaning from a quote that really wasn't there. But Dabo, in, among other things, said, "As you really look at this stuff, it could be a contaminant that came from anything. That was something that was cleared and not a problem. And all of a sudden, it becomes that there was something." Well said. I- is that is that an admission? I couldn't have said better myself. <laughs> I have no idea. That feels a little bit like word vomit to me. I don't even know yes. what that means. Word salad, even. Yeah, yeah. If you're trying to go for the, uh, you know, the training table, the healthy stuff. Hey, you got to stay away from that fast food. Yeah, <laughs> that great, that great American food. That's right. Um, do I think that Dabo Swinney is admitting that they fed the players some PEDs? No, no. You're trying too hard. It's that's a reach. South Carolina fans think so. Oh, yeah, they do. They 100% do. I mean, do I think it's completely off the table that Clemson is you know, feeding their players PEDs? No. No, I don't think that's off the table at all. But I also uh, – if they are, I certainly don't think that Dabo knows about it and is trying to admit to it you know, in, a, uh, in, you know, in press coverage. So Yeah, so your football team ate a couple of vitamins they shouldn't have. I mean – Let he who is not throw the first stone, Mike. Yes, I mean – at least you didn't hire prostitutes on recruiting business like Rick Pitino. <laughs> I, I mean, there are different different levels of crime here. Plausible deniability. He it was the assistant, Mike. Yes, and he had no idea what was going on. By the way, did you see this? So this new uh, AAF football league going on. Birmingham Iron defensive tackle Lawrence Okoye, who was arrested on a prostitution charge this week, officially ruled out for Sunday's game due to. A groin injury. A groin injury. <laughs> you just can't make this stuff up. I love it. I love it. That's so good. Um, anyways, I don't know what we're talking about at this point. Uh, Mike, anything else before we get on out of here? Uh, probably not. Yeah, probably not. That's probably fair. Um, but if there is, we'll, uh, we'll come back and talk about it sometime soon. How about that? Yep, let's do it. I think it's been a pretty good little uh, little news dump for February. It was needed. Congrats to Clemson and Florida State and such on good uh, good recruiting classes. Good on you. Yep. Um, otherwise, yeah, we're uh, we're moving on moving our way on through the uh, through the off season here, Mike. We got a spring practice coming up soon. It's uh, it's common. I the mean, most wonderful time of the year. It it's it's basically football. Um, <laughs> also, uh, John Wolford, if you're into a little AAF action, lighten it up for oh, the yeah. Arizona Hot Shots. Like old times. Lighten it up, baby. Give me give me 500 yards in a game. It doesn't matter. Let's do Man, this thing. He was scrambling, avoiding pass rushers and everything, and just slinging it down the field. Man, Oh, man. He was in John his Walford. element. He was. He was in his element. He was uh, It was. He was getting the band back together, man. He yeah. looked good. The Wolford wagon. In his oh, natural, yeah. In his natural element. The wheels are back on, baby. Yep. John yep. friggin' Wolford. So, yeah, go check that out. Highly recommended. Um, Mike, we do need to get out of here. It's getting late. Uh, we're going to come back and give you some more news here in a few weeks. Um, so keep it tuned here. 
Uh, in the meantime, y'all can reach us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. By the way, that stuff I was saying about if you're a, if you're a Boston College fan or an NC State fan or really a fan of any ACC or hell, even non-ACC team, and you're yelling at your radio about what we're saying or not saying here, please, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, if you're, if you're pissed, email us. Yeah, that's that's what the email's for. We'll, we'll check it like once every you know couple weeks or so, and you know maybe by that point you, you've uh, kind of simmered down, but maybe not. I don't know. Some of this stuff really matters. Maybe you're just pissed about you know us insinuating about Wake Forest coaching jobs. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Joseph, they can find us on Facebook. Hell yeah. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. All of them. All of them there. All of them. Every single one. Every single one. That's right. So go do that. Um, Mike, uh, they can find us on YouTube if they want. If they want to come check out my new uh, my new office slash guest room and uh, the you know the bed and the oddly placed mirror that hasn't been hung up yet and all that good stuff, you can come check it out on YouTube uh, and just go find us. You got to search for us. You're not going to find a you know a fancy URL or anything like that. We don't have that yet. But hit the subscribe button and then one day we will have a fancy URL. So we will like our buddy Mark Rogers. That's right. That's right. Go find uh, Mark Rogers too if you haven't done that. Good content. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. You want to get out of here and come back and. Uh, Catch up again sometime soon. Yes, sir. The offseason rolls on. Okay. Uh, we will come back again soon. And, and until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.